Hey yo, and here we go. Welcome to another episode of We Talk Music. I am your host, Mr. Brett Podcast, and I am truly pleased to be joined by one of the most talented guitar players on the scene today. He is playing with White Snake. He's playing with Revolution Saints, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. The reason that we're here to talk to him is because he's got his new 13 band. He's Joel Hoekstra. Joel, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for taking the time out today. Well, it's it's great to talk to you. I mean, I've been listening to you for many, many, many years now, and so it's always good to talk to you. I know we talked to you the just uh, after the last your last thirteen albums, so it's great to have you back. Um, let's talk about this one right here. I mean, you've got Crash of Life coming out June sixteenth. Yeah, yeah. So this is the third. Um, you know, the idea being years ago, I had a few instrumental albums out and those were much like you'd expect from uh, a guitar player for a solo album, whereas, you know, just guitar. Um, so when it came time for Joel Hoekstra's 13, I kind of had more of a vision of something that sounded like, you know, a band. Um, although the hitch being that I do all the writing and write all the lyrics and the vocal melodies and I get to be, you know, the dictator for a minute and have my chance to be the boss. So um, it's not really fair to those guys to call it a band per se. So um, I have a project name for a designated project name of Joel Hoekstra's 13. So, uh, of course, you mentioned have, having released Dying to Live and uh, Running Games was the follow-up. And this is the third record from Joel Hoekstra's 13 called Crash of Life. And it'll be out June 16. And, um, you know, it's just it's good old-fashioned classic rock. I'd say, you know, the the core description has always been Dio-ish at its heaviest and Foreigner-ish at its lightest. But you can kind of hear other influences poke through on this record as well. From Zeppelin to ACDC to Black Sabbath um, to Dokken and Queensryche and just all the things that have kind of influenced me, especially when I was a younger guy getting into this style of music. And um, there was really a need for it. You know, I as I became known when I joined Night Ranger and I got the show Rock of Ages and Trans-Siberian Orchestra and Whitesnake, the fans were going to my solo albums and they were getting this kind of jazz fusion instrumental stuff and the, the acoustic stuff and going like, hey, man, you should make a rock record. And it, it was always something that I wanted to do. So that was really why Joel Hoekstra's 13 began. And, uh, you know, got just a lot of my favorites in the scene, Vinnie Apice on drums, Tony Franklin on bass, Derek Sherinian on keyboards. Um, my friend Jeff Scott Soto has always been cool enough to sing background vocals on these records um, and even split lead vocals with Russell Allen on the first record. Russ, Russell Allen sang lead vocals on the second record. And this new record has a wonderful new singer um, who's a rising star named uh, Girish Pradhan. Uh, who's outstanding. Um, so uh, that's maybe a, the, the the difference in the sound from the previous two records is there's a new lead singer, um, but you know he fits right in. He's a real chameleon, man. He's super versatile and an amazing musician. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually a fan of Garish and the Chronicles, so it's, uh, it's nice to hear him. Um, how did you get him involved? That's really frontiers, you know, I mean, Russell's, uh, you know, got a busy schedule and uh, it took him a while to finish running games. And it's something with Russell where, you know, he kind of wants to be in the band or in a band to um, participate in videos and things of that nature. So we we're just talking about like what would be a, non a different option. And they kind of sent me gearish and said, you should check this guy out. 
And, uh, you know, I, to me, Garish in the Chronicles, Garish almost sounds like early Skid Row. You know, it's a lot about the, you know, the range and the screaming. And I thought, well, he's obviously amazing. Um, how does he fit into the Ronnie James Dio to Lou Graham and Paul Rogers kind of vibe that I always envisioned for like my perfect lead singer? Um, and uh, I sent the the stuff to him and and turns out, you know, I mean, he's just a chameleon. It's like he can really sing everything. And um, as evidenced in these first two singles, you know, he's singing really heavy on Far Too Deep, which is, um, you know, what one of the heavier tracks I've ever put out under this name, under Joel Hoekstra's 13, and um, all the way to this the, the second single, which is kind of a ballad that veers off called Torn Into Lies. And, um, you know, that's something where he, he doesn't even scream through the entire song, yet it's one of the most amazing vocal performances you can listen to these days, you know, so... Um, you know, he's really an amazing singer and, uh, you know, I, I, I welcome him. I mean, it's really great to have him on board. Is it tough to balance the schedules? I mean, you, like you say, you talk about, I mean, Vinny is amazing. Tony is amazing. Like Derek Sherinian. I mean, all these guys, like, is it tough to balance the schedules to get them to all come together? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, you know, certain guys, the schedule is more open and you don't have to wait very long. And other guys, it's like, well, I'm kind of booked the next couple of weeks. I'll get to it in this time frame. And um, but, you know, you just kind of, you know, for me, having that lineup return for the most part, you know, outside of um, the singer the uh, on this is it's cool because it gives these albums like some cohesiveness and a bit of a sound, you know. Um, and I like the writing to be fairly diverse, you know, um, it's not some, I, I've never been a fan of albums where like all 11 songs sound the same, you know, I've kind of enjoyed, uh, being able to represent some of my different influences, um, on these records. So I think it's really important to have the same players and the same kind of tones and everything like that to kind of give it some glue and give it a sound. Otherwise stuff really does start to sound like it doesn't belong together. So um, anyway, that's a, for me to have everybody back, you, you know, for each album is a big deal and it kind of gives it some cohesiveness. Now you talk about, of course, being the dictator, the boss in this case, like when you're when you're writing the like, well, firstly, what does that like? How does that feed your soul? Well, these albums are made mainly as an artistic outlet for me. I mean, they're part of like my my legacy as like artistic expression more than anything. You know, so um, I enjoy the process of creating music um, with various levels of importance. I don't e I don't always need to be, you know, the guy who's doing everything. In fact, I kind of prefer it if I wasn't, you know, I mean, it's it's nice to do an album like Revolution Saints, where essentially I'm kind of like, hey, you're being brought in to play guitar on this. The songs are in place and. You know, we want your guitar skills and you can put your spin and your stamp on the album with your guitar playing um, to a project like Iconic, you know, with uh, Michael Sweet and uh, Tommy Aldridge, Nathan James, Marco Mendoza. That's something where I contribute the guitar riffs unarranged. Michael Sweet arranges the guitar riffs. They go to Alessandro and Nathan and they write the lyrics and the vocal melodies. And so that's very collaborative. That's fun. You know, obviously writing with White Snake with David Coverdale, you're, you know, kind of uh, providing riffs for him to sing over. Uh, you know, often it's a song that he's already begun, maybe has a chorus for. Um, but 
every band, every band is going to have different or project is going to have different levels of involvement. And for me, that's part of the fun is hearing the different results. I, you know, I don't always need to be the guy I am on Joel Hooksher's 13. In fact, I, t- I tell you straight up, it's a lot more work. I mean, I have to, when I write all the lyrics and the vocal melodies, that means I have to sing the entire record before it goes on to Russell Allen or Gearish. Um, for them to listen to and then go, okay, there's the guide vocal. This is what he's looking for. And then they kind of put their own spin on it or just flat out sing it a lot better than I can. And um, so it's a lot more work for me to make these records. Um, It's more about the artistic expression. So then, you know, after you write these songs and and you present them to, to everybody in the band, uh, the band, you know, in this case, but uh, what do they, you like, how do you, give them the opportunity to put their stamp on it. So as much as I said, I'm the dictator in terms of the writing, I'm the polar opposite with my production style. Like when it comes to what they play, I very rarely say anything to them. You know, um, I, they, they, I just say play on it and they do what they do and I roll with it. So maybe occasionally here or there, I'll say, would you mind? Yeah, you know, I really kind of thought it was going to be like this or, um, but, you know, for the most part, these guys give me their parts and that's exactly what you hear on the record is what they played. And, you know, as somebody who does record things that I haven't written, that's what you did because you want people to just let you do your thing rather than be up in it micromanaging you and like, Hey, maybe play this, maybe play this. And then, oh, and then what fun is doing the record, you know? So, and on top of it, if, if that's the case, then maybe you're not hiring the right person, you know, because like, if you're not happy with what a person kind of instinctually plays on an album, then, you know, maybe they're not the right fit. You know, these guys are um, people that for me bring it to life. You know, Vinny has a knack for playing the unexpected and taking songs to different places than I would expect at times. You know, he doesn't play like a traditional session drummer where you go, oh, okay, so this is this section of the song, so I'll play this kind of groove. You know, Vinny, he comes from a different place than like, you know, your typical session cat and kind of has his own, He to me, he gives it some grease, you know, gives the record some actual authenticity, um, classic rock sound. And, uh, you know, Tony is a great compliment to him um, in that he does also, obviously, being a fretless guy, you know, kind of brings his own sound and his own flair to these records. Um, You know, Sherinian, you know, Derek is, you know, prolific, great sounds, um, you know, cuts these albums faster than you can possibly imagine. I mean, you blink and he's done. He's uh, and he's given you amazing tracks and all these different options. And um, so, you know, they're all guys who uh, just are great musicians and that's, that's what you want. And and like I said, I have very little to say to them. So they just do their thing and I'm like, cool, thank you. (laughs) How long, how long does it take you to write each of the individual songs? Like when did you start writing this one versus, you know, like just after the last one kind of thing, or did you, do you kind of, get it in like a month where you're done all the songs or does it take a lot longer? So this particular album, there's some riffs that were around from like writing for other things where I look at it and I go, you know what, that would fit this. This will be cool on this album. And then I kind of wrote some designated songs to kind of give it the glue and the sound of what I want Joel Oaks 13 to sound like. Um, So 
you know, and also what an album needs. So if you've collected too many, you know, let's say ballads from old song ideas, you know, and there are certainly things like from past writing sessions, I go, no, that that won't fit on like a Joel Hunter's 13 album. But like, there are certain ideas that do. And then I go, okay, now let's complete it and finish it off. And um, this was definitely very riff based, this album, like out of the gate, you know, as a more so than the other two. It was a lot based on like just the guitar riffs. And um, a lot of times I'll have a guide vocal and a melody for Vinny um, when he's tracking. Um, this one, not as much. It was there on like a couple of the tunes, but like it was a lot of like, just like, here are the riffs, dude. Like, and then he was like, well, but what's going to be happening where? And I was like, just play, dude. Don't worry about it. Just do your thing. It's all going to be cool, you know? <laughs> yeah that's just trust me it'll it'll all work out fine right? it'll all work out man just play just do your thing be in the apathy man you know <laughs> but the, you know that's the thing like i think when i listen to the to the album i mean it's definitely has a heavier vibe and i think you're right it's because of the it's because of the more riffs and and just you know that kind of element to it so so it feels heavier but i mean it, it is definitely an awesome rock album the way I would describe this record is like the the other ones, Dying to Live was kind of all over the map stylistically um, as well. This record is a bit like that, where there's a lot of different vibes and and influences. Um, Running Games was a little bit more, the song sounded like all kind of similar um, or more so than the other two albums. Um, but those albums had kind of these melodic, kind of poppy tunes that were like, well, those will be the singles. And this one, I was like, I got got done writing it and I went like, you know, everything was recorded. And I went, well, it doesn't really have like the obvious single. So when it came time to like pick that with Frontiers, they said, so what are you thinking? I, I, but I will say that I feel like the bar is higher as far as like the overall song quality on this record compared to the other ones. I said where the other ones maybe go a bit more like that. I feel like this one is like the bar is higher. Um, it just just didn't have go. It never went poppy at times. And I've actually taken some criticism for that on some of the past records. You know, I haven't like until I left you on the first record, you know, which was kind of had that poppy chorus. And, you know, you never can make everyone happy. Some people say, man, come on, these guys should be doing something heavy, you know, and then you do something heavy and people say, where's the melody? And, you know, so it's at the end of the day, I just go, look, man, I'm going to make the album I want to make and like not worry about it so much. And, you know, especially if you have good musicianship and good sonics on it, if it's engineered well good sounds you know it's going to be a good record and um so that's the way i look at this one it's a it's a lot of like really good like album tracks i feel like you know is like the way this album kind of presents itself um <clears throat> where it's not necessarily like the one song you can't get out of your head but just like kind of a kick-ass like rock record yeah i would agree like it, it's it's really consistent from start to finish absolutely in that regard like i, I think i think i'd say that don't have words is probably my favorite song on the album i mean from oh. from at least the, the listens that i've given yeah. <laughs> that, I, yeah, I feel like yeah, that's kind of like a you know i would say <clears throat> acdc influence main riff um with maybe more of like my pop sensibility chorus like the chorus goes definitely more pop than acdc would go um, um 
So it's interesting when you pick apart like all the elements of these and you go like, where's that from? Like what influence? I can always kind of trace it back when I examine it and go, well, that's because I'm into this and I'm into that. You know, like if you take a song like Not Tonight on there, that main riff is very influenced by White Snake or Zeppelin. You know, it's got that, you know, uh, percussive with the slide on there but then when it goes into the chorus i like to think that that's almost like something that in my head is a, i could almost hear don dockin singing it it sounds mm-hmm. like in like an old Dawkin record or something from the 80s you know so it's, you get this weird mashup of my influences presented on this and that's kind of what i like you know is the beauty of like anything that inspired me in in, in particular in this style of music is kind of present when it needs to be or when it's when it feels right i totally need need your like uh you know audio commentary for all the all the songs right you know where it's just you know here oh yeah and then then give it a listen and go back but yeah because it, it's interesting right listening to far too deep and of course you talked about that one of being so heavy and i mean you know jeff scott soda was so amazing on that one because you know he just punctuates everything with the growls and then you've got gearish doing the rest of it so i mean it it sounds awesome yeah so that one you know that's almost like influenced you know if you listen to the main riff of the song um i'd say the the heaviness of the riff is almost influenced by like you know megadeth or metallica and then the hook over the top with the the bends kind of playing the little melody that's almost like old motley crew or something it's almost like shout at the devil kind of influence and then um the b section is almost what I'm influenced from from the 90s. It's almost kind of like a grunge riff, you know. But also I'm kind of playing funky wah over that too, which is different than the 90s. Um, and then I would say, you know, the the chorus almost like is something if you heard, if you superimposed like Bruce Dickinson's voice over Gearish, you know, it's almost kind of maidenish in a sense. Um, so there's, you know, all my influences are kind of present on this at one time or another. And like damaged goods is one where like I'd say you can definitely hear the um the maiden influence at times. Um so everything kind of pops up at one time or another for me. Mm-hmm. These are all bands that I grew up loving. So it's as long as it falls under the umbrella of stuff that I dug and got me into this scene. You know, I, I feel like it it belongs and having the same players and the same tones and the same sonics kind of gives it some glue and makes it sound like, you know, um, a cohesive record. When you're playing on this album, like especially like what kind of guitar do you use for this? And then do you use different different? I'm a less tall addict. Do you use different? Yeah. No, I think I used my gold top on the entire record. And then I think um, when there was clean stuff, I used my Jackson PC one and also any sustained notes. When you hear sustainer notes, anything Floyd Rose, any dive bomb, that's usually my Jackson PC one. But I literally may have cut the whole album with two guitars. I think just my, my gold top Les Paul and, and, uh, the Jackson PC one. And then of course, acoustic stuff, you know, I'm, I've been a Taylor guy for a long time. And so I think there's some 12 on there too. There's like Taylor 12 and Taylor six. So if you include the acoustics, four guitars on the whole record, pretty much. 
not not too big on like let me pull out the this one for this part. Now, there's some sitar tucked in there in spots too. I use like a sitar style guitar, but it's kind of tucked in there and kind of just blended in. Now is that I'm a, I'm a Les Paul guy, man. Yeah. Les Paul is like that's 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 my love. Like that just evolved into like funny because it took me a long time growing up in the eighties. I grew up with all the Floyd Rose guitars. You know, my first guitar that I spent a lot of time on was a Kramer and then I had a Jackson and then uh then I kind of was into the singer songwriter thing trying to be bluesier in the Chicago area playing you know strats tellies you know more like Americana singer songwriter stuff and then it took me a while because I used to think oh Les Pauls those things are out of tune all the time what do I want to you know have a Les Paul for and then you know eventually I got my gold top was my first Les Paul and it still is my number one guitar I mean it's really um I, just something that I, I fell in love with that I was I went like oh I get it on this you can play like one note and it sounds amazing as opposed to needing to play twenty notes to compensate for the one that doesn't sound great you know um, so it kind of slows you down a bit and makes you realize like oh simple stuff can sound really great on a Les Paul. Is it the same then when you play for Revolution Saints and stuff like that? You're generally playing, I mean, obviously Les Paul. Yeah. So, you know. I use my gold pop for that entire record as well. Same thing. And uh, the Jackson for any overdubs, clean stuff. Um, same with Iconic. I think Iconic, I may have pulled out a strap for some clean stuff. Um, but yeah, it's basically been as far as what I am. That's, you know, for me, the Les Paul thing is just kind of like, it's, that's, uh, you know, it's what I like. That's I'm not. I wouldn't be happy releasing an album beyond guitar where the Les Paul played any kind of secondary role. Yeah. So then, when it comes down to uh, to the going back to the music here and the videos. So I mean, the torn into lies and and far too deep would be made into videos. How like difficult is it to kind of make those videos? Because I mean, obviously, Garish is not with you guys. <laughs> The time, so. I mean, Girish was supposed to be with us. That was part oh. of the plan. Like, oh, this would be great because, you know, Girish can be in the videos. We can do videos. And yeah, that, that was all great until he had work visa issues, you know. So that was like um, one of those things where we had to be creative. I was actually with Tony and Vinny in L.A. and we were all together for that shoot. Um the, the three of us, um, but then with Girish, we had to be creative because the idea was he was going to be there with us. But, you know, these things, you know, life deals you circumstances sometimes and you got to make, you know, lemonade out of lemons. And so you go like, oh, he can't be there. All right, well, let's just find a way to at least have the three of us in the room together. And then, you know, we'll have Girish there. And, and Jeff as well was in Brazil. So Jeff mm -hmm. is, um, Jeff's parts were filmed on his own as well. Um, but, you know, you do what you can with these things, you know, it's better to still have the two videos and have everybody represented. Um, obviously, it'd be killer to have everybody in the same room, but that's tricky sometimes. For sure. So is that, did you shoot both of them within the same, you know, day, two days, that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, we shot one day. Yeah. Do you think that there'll be more or is this kind of the the video presence that we're going to get for the album? No, just probably just the two. I think, um, you know, I'm going to do a playthrough of um, a track or two for Guitar World magazine where people can see I'm actually playing the riffs and solos and whatnot and give a little lesson on it. Um, 
but uh, outside of that, no, the, the two videos. Yeah, that's what's coming. It's not as much as Revolution Saints, you know. We actually <laughs> shot, uh, I think we had four video singles come out uh, prior to Eagle Flight. So, But that's, I think, a little bit more of Frontier's baby, you know. That's um, something that's heavily influenced by the label. So um, probably gets a little more money behind it. <laughs> <laughs> So then, you know, I mean, of course, you just got back from the cruise as well. How was that? Oh, amazing, man. You know, that's something that I've been doing all the way from the beginning with the first song at Night Ranger. And then Larry Morand, who runs the Monsters of Rock Cruise, has um, been cool enough to have me on every year. We have this, uh, you know, Bloody Mary hangover jam uh, where I give away free Bloody Marys to everybody that's there. And I usually am very generous with... Uh, I don't know if I can swear on your program or not. Please here, do, but please do. What, what, what's called free shit, you know, and the fans <laughs> tend to chant it as I give away free stuff. And this year was like off the charts, man. We had like a, a company donate turntables with custom artwork on it from the cruise or from my albums. And so we gave away like turntables, Bluetooth speakers. I um, gave away 65 copies of running games. Um to people and countless Bloody Marys. I couldn't even tell you how many free Bloody Marys got given away at that. So it's kind of like everybody comes to the show and then I, I only half jokingly say to them, their only responsibility is to go to Larry Moran and say, this was the best show on the cruise. Because I challenged them to say, tell me one other artist that's going to give away this much free stuff. It's like I... <laughs> You know, I feel like I turn into Howard Stern or something for a bit on, for a moment on those because I'm saying, come on, who else is doing this for you guys? You know, <laughs> all you got to do is come hang out with me and I'm going to get you drunk and I'm going to give you free stuff. Come on. So, uh, no, it's something I have a great time doing. Um, you know, I feel like family on the Monsters Rock Cruise is something I've been doing all the way from the beginning. And Larry and I go back to, you know, me joining Night Ranger. Larry was the tour manager for a bit um, during that initial time of me joining the band so we have a we have a bond that goes back a ways and he's a great cat I'm, I'm so glad to see him have success with that cruise yeah for sure i mean it's amazing the people that they get on there so i mean and i and i know we've heard nothing but great stories from it that's for sure yeah so, yeah absolutely I, mean, I know my place on there you know they have the bigger <laughs> band out there and when i'm doing my hangover jam i like to think that we're just kind of like this um kind of underground thing that kind of exists on there that only like the people that really have been on the cruise get like, Oh, you mean if I turn up there, I get free drinks and like just giving away stuff. And like, you know, so we just have a nice casual jam acoustic jam on there. And it's something that lives a little like under the radar, but is also like one of those things that if you go on the cruise enough, you realize like, Oh, I bet I should get there. I mean, it, it, I think the first one of those I did, it was a really small crowd. And now we're, you know, this year it was just, a, you know, really big crowd for it. It was one of the bigger, larger attended shows of the, the cruise. So um, <laughs> it's kind of funny how it's grown. Not so underground anymore, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's awesome. So where can people see you then uh, this year? What have you got coming up in that regard? Man, I'm doing lots of acoustic shows with my friend Brandon Gibbs this year. Um, we just got back from a two-week tour of the UK. We got a bunch of stuff in the States coming up and definitely the possibility of doing Europe later this year. 
Um, I'm doing gigs with Broadway's Rock of Ages band, which is um, just the, the as it sounds like the people that were in Rock of Ages in the band. And we just go out and play, you know, full-length versions of the songs as covers. And of course, people can pick up, you know, Eagle Flight from Revolution Saints. We've got Crash of Life coming out from Joel Hoekstra's 13 here um, June 16. Um, as far as iconic, I've given the riffs to Michael a suite for the follow-up. Um, so that's very much in the works. And I've actually recorded the follow-up to Eagle Flight already for Revolution Saints this year. Um, so working very hard on um, in terms of recording. Um, of course, I'll have the Trans-Siberian Orchestra Tour this November, December, where people can see me live. Um, but, you know, my main thing is just kind of take all this as a collective and kind of keep working as a musician to better myself and to make a living and, um, you know, kind of hopefully uh, hopefully leave a, a bit of a legacy. <laughs> well, there's no doubt that you are one of the hardest working men at show business. So <laughs> I got to appreciate yeah, I, that. I, I like it that way. I think that that helps. That, that, that's, that's, you know, good on more than one level. It's, it's, it's good for um, building your career, but it's also really good for building your level of talent, you know? So I also teach virtually at council for rock and roll fantasy camp. That's something I've, keep leaving out in these interviews i've been doing uh, working as a counselor for them so i have one of those coming up um in new york city um pretty soon here in july i've got uh, a festival that i'm going off and playing with a conglomeration of other classic rock musicians they're calling us the gods of rock um <laughs> although i certainly don't see myself as one but um anyway that's going to be in romania and i'm going to be a part of a guitar festival um where i'm playing a set um uh in july as well as kind of a one-off thing so um you know i've got a really busy year i've got a lot of stuff lined up and just always working awesome well it's been amazing to talk to you once again um you know joel you're a great guy and your music is awesome your playing is amazing so thank you so much for being on the show and i just want to wish you nothing but the best in the future Cool. Thanks so much. Yeah, right back at you. Thanks for taking the time out today. Appreciate it very much. Well, no problem. Always happy to have you on, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again. Cool. Right on. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Awesome. Bye for now. Bye for now.
Fe-